Who is it? The Atomic Podcast. Hey, I'm here with Eves the Cannon Sanon, dude. Happy 100 episode, dude. Happy 100 episode, brother. How you doing? Good, good, man. No, did you ever think we'll go all the way up to 100, my dude? Um, yeah, actually did. Actually, this is going to go down to 100. Wow, this is... Yeah, we got a lot of content, brother. Yeah, I know, I know. From episode one, from starting it off, to, you know, getting the setup to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, till now, the episode we're in now, this is this is crazy, man. And, you know, we've been doing it, you know, we've been getting a lot of listens, you know, we have a lot of people out there that love it, so it's been amazing, it's been amazing. Ease the Canon yeah. Sanon. I, I want to congratulate you on such a good job that you've been doing each of you and all these, um, Nah, thanks a lot, brother. Thanks a lot, brother. It's all to you too, man. You know, use the inspiration behind it. Oh, yeah, thank, I appreciate it. I pat myself on the back. <laughs> as usual, as usual. Um, well, what you think is gonna? Ha- um, what's what's your wish for 2016? What like wh- what do you want to happen in 2016? Well, uh, what exactly? In, in, just in general, or for the Atomic podcast? Um, the Atomic podcast in general, whatever. Well, in general, I hope these new movies coming out don't suck. That's my whole thing. I just hope it's not all this hope lost from last year. Now it's here now, and then these movies are horrible. Yeah. yeah that's one. Uh, and, and two, I just hopefully this um, podcast progresses further so we can take it to other outlets. TV, movies, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Hopefully it just goes to as far as that limit. Yeah, yeah, man. I know, um, what's your favorite movie in 2015, brother? You know, I would put Creed as a close second, though, but, um, what about, did you like Creed, or? Um, I, I want to say favorite movie. You like Creed, I mean, you're pretty biased, dude. Would you like that movie? Yeah, Creed was really good. good. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, you know, good. there was a lot of other movies out there, but I haven't seen every single movie out there, but the movies that made an impact on me was definitely Star Wars, and Creed was really good. I think you're just saying that Star Wars is popular. No, Star Wars. Star Wars is really good. You, I mean, you know, because you're not a, a, a Star Wars fan. So, but yeah, but I did see it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not that I was impressed. But I, I don't want to get into detail too much. But I mean, it, it's just like it was like all the three Star Wars movies, the original three Star Wars movies in one. Well, no, it, it it was his own movie, man. We could debate this over and over again, but you know, it was his own movie, and, yeah, and dollars don't do, dollars don't lie. Dollars don't lie. No, it's 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 a homage. It's not it's not you know, you know it's not a, a freaking remake. You know what I'm saying? Like just like Star Trek is not a remake of the original Star Trek. You know? Yeah, but come on, they had to get freaking they got they got um the old the old spot the new spot to meet. That was trash. I mean, come on, let's get it together. Why did they have to do that? Nah, it, it, it was different. It was different, canon. Um, you had, um, what, Straight Outta Compton, you had, um, Age yeah. of Ultron, you had, um, ah. uh, what else, uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of movies, dude, um, yeah, you're putting me on the spot, there's a, I mean, you know what it is, I'm just have the movies that 
that I got on my mind that I seen that were great. So um, the other Greatest movies are just. Wars. Last movies of the year, of course. Yeah, Star Wars, dude. You saved the best for last. December, like everybody loved Lord of the Rings, and it always came out in December. So you know, Star Wars kept tr- kept the tradition and came out in December. And you know, they're um, number one domestic in the box office, and I believe they're number three worldwide. So they're they're up there. You know, but uh, nah, uh, on another note, you know, happy 100, man, and hopefully we'll keep going. Yes, happy 100, brother. Um, we gotta do an interview. Exactly. All right, and let's get started with the Atomic Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you important news. This is Ian Buchanan, and I want to wish the Atomic Podcast happy 100th episode and many more to come. This is Lauren Fit DJ, and I'd like to wish the Atomic Podcast happy 100 episodes. Keep on rocking. Hi, this is James Chris Rogers, and I want to say happy 100 episodes of the Atomic Podcast. You're blowing up. Keep chasing your dreams. They're meant to be gone. Welcome to the Atomic Podcast. 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 Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Ephraim Guzman, and my guest today, he is the managing editor of Geek Nation. He is also the host of Meet the Movie Press and the Far, Far Away Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the most powerful and feared man in the business, Mr. Mark Riley. Mark, what's going on, man? Hey, Ephraim, how are you, man? Thanks for having me. Man, I'm good, I'm good, man. We've been playing phone tag. I've been trying to get you on for a while, and I'm, I'm very happy you're on today. I know, man. I'm, I'm very stoked to be here, and, and thanks for dealing with my craziness as, uh, as I'm able to get move everything aside and be on your show. I, I dig it. Oh, I love it, I love it, man. How's everything in um, La La Land? La La Land is treating me well. Um, yeah, I started working at Geek Nation back in August, so I've been there for a while now, having fun. Yeah, uh, LA is LA. It's uh, the melting pot, but I've lived here pretty much my entire life, so it's home for me. Mm. You think it's like is like considered the same melting pot like in New York City? You think is like the equivalent of that, or is different? I guess. I mean, I guess you could say that New York is you know the East Coast and LA is the, the West Coast and uh, of the melting pot and. I've been to New York a number of times, and I actually want to live out there at one point. I think it's more of a melting pot, uh, melting pot in New York City, but you know, L.A. has a lot of people coming out here, a lot of transplants that want to be out here in, in the business, in the entertainment business. So that that's the melting pot, really, is that you get a ton of people out here who want to be you know, in the industry, and that you get them from all kinds of places. So it's interesting. Uh, well, how did how, how did it get started from you? You you was always living in California, correct? Yeah, I grew up in Orange County, um, which is probably I don't know forty minutes without traffic, two hours with traffic south of LA, uh, in a town called Tustin, California. And uh, yeah, I grew up. You know, my my parents are originally from uh, Los Angeles, so I got to know LA just because I would go up there with my family. Uh, we'd see plays up in L.A., and so I was always really close, so I'm, I'm 
really truly a, a California guy. And uh, and then I went to uh, USC, University of Southern California for college. So uh, that started everything off. And I came out to USC in 1994, and I haven't left since. Wow. Are, are, are you an avid surfer as well? Or that's just a stereotypical thing? Like, you know, people from California, they know how to surf. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I've surfed once. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a stereotype. I, I grew up with a bunch of surfer buddies. And they would all go surfing, and I never got into it. I don't, I don't know why. I just, just never got into it. I surfed once in Hawaii, and uh, I believe I fell down a, a, a lot and stood up once. So, <laughs> hey, more power to you if you can do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't that coordinated. So. <laughs> well, how did you get involved in the whole industry of Hollywood? I mean, it really started with USC. I, I did. Um, theater growing up. I did children's theater, like, all through middle school and high school, uh, where I'd go up to Long Beach from Orange County, and I would do plays, and then I thought I was going to be the next Tom Cruise, so I decided to major in theater at USC, which, don't ever be a theater major. That is what I tell everybody. It is a waste of money. <laughs> if you want to be a if you want to be in theater or if you want to be in film and act, just go to L.A. and enroll in a bunch of classes because that's where I truly learned a lot and as far as acting is concerned was taking classes. Um, so, I, yeah, so basically at USC, I majored in theater, but I the reason I did it was I loved film as well and I loved writing, and so I got to meet all the cinema students, which was great because USC has one of the best cinema you know, colleges of all time. So um, I got to meet a lot of people there, to which, funny enough, the Golden Globes were on last night, and I probably picked out five people I went to college with uh, who were nominated or at the ceremony and won a Golden Globes. It's crazy. But uh, once I got out of college, I, I found out pretty quick that I didn't want to be an actor anymore. And so I started to write, and I took on production jobs and, Kind of the rest is history. It kind of led me to where I am now. Oh, it was was there a reason you didn't want to be an actor, or you just didn't have the passion for it to continue? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I I definitely had the passion for it, and I started to audition, and I got the agent, and I had the headshot, and I would do the classes. But what what I found was is that I couldn't really, you know, make a living one for being an actor. And I found that I wasn't really acting as much, and I had this creative energy in me. And so I started to write. And then I went through a maybe a quarter-life crisis at about 25. I went, do I really want to act? I don't think I do. I want to write. And that's where I put all my energy into. And that led to the more of the what I wanted to do. It led to kind of internships at Warner Brothers. It led to a production job where I worked on a Showtime show. Um, and then it ultimately led me into meeting um, Christian Harloff, who then, you know, as you know, which most know, got involved with them and so on and so forth. Here I am. So, yeah, acting was, I was pretty, I was, I was able to get rid of that bug pretty quick because I loved writing and production and producing a whole lot more. What was the first thing you written? Uh, the first thing I wrote? Yep. Uh, just in general or, or something that perhaps was made? Something in general, like what was your first foray into writing? Well, I, I paired up with one of my best friends, who's still one of my writing partners and best friends, Lisa Gottman, and we wrote a screenplay about, you know, just getting out of college and, you know, 
what the hell do you do with yourself? And it was probably one of the most god-awful screenplays ever to be realized. Because I feel like the, the one thing writers do, and I fell into this trap, was the first thing that they want to write, they think their life is very, very dramatic, and it deserves a, a movie. And then when you sit down to start writing about your life, you realize pretty quick that you're a boring person. And it doesn't make for a good movie. But what I loved about that is that it, I learned so much writing that script. Uh, and that was one of the very first things I wrote. And then I, I think the second thing I wrote was my, uh, I, I tried to write a horror movie. And, and it, was, it, it was decent. It didn't really go anywhere. And then so on and so forth. I wrote a whole bunch of screenplays before I really knew what I was doing. So. Well, but with, um, with writing, do you feel that, like, you write what you experience or you write something that's, like, in a fantasy land in your mind? Like, what, how does writing come to you? Like, do you write more from the heart of what you dealt with in your life? Yeah, I think my, definitely my experience has come into it. Um, but I've also, you know, you kind of hit it. I write a lot of fantasy and I love, you know, horror movies and fantasy and sci-fi. And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of started to write a bunch of big budget ideas. And it was right around the time that in the industry where they were kind of taking big budget original ideas. But then it really turned pretty quick where the branding now is all in. Is it a comic book? Is it a TV show? Is it a remake? You know, you have to have an audience built into this title, this brand. Otherwise, you don't really get anywhere. So that, that was tough to deal with because I, you know, one of my favorite things that I wrote was that the, it was a fantasy kind of Harry Potter meets Guillermo del Toro kind of world thing that I wrote with a buddy of mine, uh, Joe Town. And we, we created a comic book for it uh, because we knew it's hard to get a big budget original idea out there mm -hmm. unless it has a comic or an audience behind it. So we tried to do it all. We got pretty far. We had some development on it with the, with the production uh, company, but ultimately didn't go anywhere. But, I mean, yeah, I don't really write. I, I think the closest thing I wrote to being real life and, and, and based on me is a script I wrote called A, a Dog and His Boy. And I wrote this, and it's a comedy. It's, it's my closest thing to a Wes Anderson movie. You know, I guess the best no. writings, they always say the best writings comes from a breakup or something like that, or death, you know, usually. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I man, that first draft, I wrote it, I wrote it over a weekend, like the week after I broke up with her. <laughs> wow. Like, it was just like all in one sitting on a weekend, and it was crazy, <laughs> so. You notice, yeah, I was saying, you know, like, despair comes passion, so usually, you know, like, everything was flurrying through your mind, so you probably was just writing nonstop, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, and I, then, of course, I went back and fixed it, you know, smoothed it out, and it's still one of my favorite scripts. Uh, definitely funny and a coming-of-age kind of thing, and, and i got to dig that out someday. <laughs> I definitely um, want to hear. I want to definitely want to read that, then. All right. All right, you got it. Tell me about Masters of the Universe. You was also involved in that, right? The It was in 2007? Yeah, was it that day? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that was uh, with Christian Harloff, Ed Schmo. Yes. He was, uh, he was a story executive over at um, Joel Silver Pictures, and I had met Christian uh, waiting tables because that's what you do when you're in the entertainment industry. You have to go wait tables first. Oh, wow. Okay. 
<laughs> wow. So it's a rite of passage, right? So, yep. uh, yeah, I was waiting tables and uh, met Christian Harloff, and of course we, we hit it off because we're, we're both dorks and we love Star Wars. And, you know, and then he, he went off and did an internship, and I went off and did, started working in production. And then he kind of called me and he said, yeah, uh, John Woo was originally supposed to do the first E-Man in the Masters universe. Yeah. And it went into turnaround. And the script landed on Christian's desk. And he's a huge Masters of the Universe fan. Christian is. Yeah. So he read this thing and he called me and he's like, this thing is just utter crap, man. Yeah. We got, we can do better than this. So let's, what if we come up with our version and then we can pitch it through here and make it happen? And so that's basically what happened. Me and Christian just came up with the story. And then I wrote the kind of the, the full treatment. It was like a 45-page treatment. And we, we called it, you know, Masters of the Universe, we called it Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings. And we gave it to the head of uh, development over at Joel Silver, and they loved it. And so we developed it for a little bit under a year. And unfortunately, you know, it, it finally just, it couldn't go anywhere. And then it, once I dropped out, Christian dropped out, the head of production dropped out, it went over to Legendary. And then nobody could fix it over there. And then finally the, the lights reverted again and it went over to Sony where they're still trying to figure out how to do it. And I don't think, I don't think anybody's cracked it. But yeah. That's been forever that they've been trying to get that thing made. Yeah, it, I'm saying it's He-Man to me is like right up there with Star Wars. There's a way for it to be done. Like, you know, I have it in my head that yeah. this could definitely be made because, you know, you have sci-fi, you have, you know, tech, you know, you have technology, you have magic, yep. you know, you have all yep. that combined. And it's so, not that it's so easy to do, but, you know, it could be done. Do you remember what treatment you had? Did you, like, deviate from the comics, the mini comics, or was yours part of the cartoon? Like, what, what was your storyline based on? Yeah, it was based mostly on the cartoon, but really it kind of took on a version of its own. We didn't really follow any of the comics, okay. and we had loved the, the, the cartoon show growing up. So we kind of created our own mythology behind it, okay. which I think in the end is why uh, I believe it was Mattel. Mattel still owns the rights because they're the ones that created the toy. Yeah. So I think that that's ultimately why they didn't want to do it, is because we created a, a mythology behind the, you know, He-Man sword is what we focused on, and we kind of did, that's why we call it a little bit of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's because it was, you know, we, we came up with the idea that the, the mantle of He-Man is, is all through the sword, that whoever picks up that sword becomes He-Man. Oh. And so, and with that sword, if you are too uh, power-hungry, it can corrupt, just like the ring does in Lord of the Rings. So we... We created our version that Skeletor was actually an old E-Man, but power corrupted them. And he became that evil, you know, Skeletor. Mm -hmm. And that the sword then is lost over centuries, and then Prince Adam finds the sword and becomes E-Man. And so we played it really straight. We, we wrote it like it, it, it was a straight sci-fi with fantasy elements. And so when I say Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings, I mean, it was... Very serious, uh, dark at times, a lot of action, very fun, though. It was, it was still a little bit of the humor mixed in there, so I really wish they would have gone with it, because it was a lot of fun. Oh. So please please tell me that the whole storyline would have took place in Eternia and not come to Earth? Oh, yeah, no, it's all in Eternia. Oh. Number one, we don't, we don't go anywhere but Eternia. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. I know. 
no, no. That that old Masters of the Universe movie where they come to Earth, yeah. I don't know what the hell that was, but that's not what we were going to do. Oh, that sounds interesting. Was you also fascinated with the whole Keldor and Randor and then the, the He-Man? Like, was you going to do, like, the family storyline as well? or? Yeah, Randor, Randor was in there. Um, I do remember that. Yeah. And it was the family, you know, it was, you know, Prince Adam and, and that family. I'm still, I'm off on all my Masters of the Universe family tree, but it actually opens with Randor and his son, flying away from uh, Skeletor because they have the map that will lead them to Castle Grayskull where the sorceress is. Oh. And that, that, that was what the inciting incident was, was a piece of this map. Everybody's been looking for Castle Grayskull because it's been lost. And so uh, that Randor and his people were trying to bring it to the king over in Eternia. I think mm. that's right. Mm. Oh, no. no. Um, that would have been interesting, though, but so it, it, is it, you don't have that no more, right? It's it's owned by the other company over there? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, nobody really owns it except oh, nobody, Mattel. Oh, so. okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think so. You know, we were, we were playing in their sandbox, you know, we were saying, this is the movie we would do if we had access to your characters. Yeah. And they went, thanks, but we don't like you, so go away. So that's basically <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Oh, man. Going into Geek Nation now, how did you went from Schmoes No to Geek Nation? Uh, well, they, they had known me, they had known of me and Christian. You know, I was there originally when Christian and Tiffany Smith started Far, Far Away. And I came in a bunch of times to guest on their podcast, and that's how I met everybody at Geek Nation. So they were trying to do some, you know, make some... Oh, excuse me, I'm being... You're being chased. Say, an ambulance just uh, threw on their their lights because they, they had to get by me. So anyway. Yeah, no problem. Right, well, we're good. We're safe. As long as you're not in a white Bronco, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Nation, you know, I got to know them, and then, uh, you know, they we, we kind of become friends, all the heads of over there at Geek Nation, and then they were revamping their website, and they were, you know planning to do some really wonderful things and they actually approached Christian and we all and then Christian brought me and we all sat down and said you know these are some things we want to work together on and then they offered me the job to come over there and so I did and I've been there ever since and it's really great yeah and you're there with John Roca doing the Far Far Away podcast which is an excellent podcast yeah. where it's all Star Wars all Star Wars talk how yeah. how how is Thank it you. how do you like the chemistry with you and John well, John's great. I mean, I just got along with him immediately. And yeah. that was another kind of thing that's just a happy coincidence because I had started it. I started going on the show with Christian and Tiffany, and then Christian left, and John came on and was doing it with Tiffany. And then when I was hired on at Geek Nation, I was just kind of filling in occasionally here and there. And then they asked me to kind of stay on as a third co-host. And then Tiffany got the opportunity to go over to Jedi Council. Yeah. And so it just kind of ended up there. The two of us were left standing and we're like, okay, we'll take it. Oh. So, so what is what is it? Can no, can one person not do two Star Wars podcasts or it like conflicts with the other or is just... You know, yeah, I guess it depends on any kind of contracts they sign. Now, I can do other podcasts um, because my contract with Geek Nation said so, but I okay. think Tiffany signed something that says, she couldn't. I'm not sure, though. I, I think there's ways around it. We all are talking about getting her back on sooner or later. I mean, yeah. so 
Actually, I think that's, that's not true. I think we can all do it. I think it's, it's a matter of time. You know, Tiffany, especially Tiffany Smith, she is so good at what she does. She works a lot. Yeah. So I think it, it kind of came down to she could only probably do one. And uh, so it kind of just worked out that way. So we'll get her back on, though, because uh, we're going to have to talk about Rogue One and episode eight sooner or later. I always got to talk to Tiff about that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, definitely. I want to. This brings me to my point. I want to talk to you about the Force Awakens. My opinion yeah. of the movie. I thought you know there was. It was so hard avoiding spoilers. Like there was people you know on the net that was just so stupid that were just putting you know pictures of certain scenes. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck. You know what I'm saying? You know they'll put. You know, and it, it, you know I was definitely avoiding the internet like crazy. But you know I was I was in love with the movie. I thought the movie was phenomenal. You know, you know watching. You know, I, I I only seen it once. I only seen it once. I you know I haven't seen it like five times or six times like you know other people have but the movie the movie itself though there was so much going on with it you know and you know I, I I like the whole you know even though I wanted to see more Luke I could understand like the anticipation of waiting for the sequel but there was a lot yeah. going on the whole Kylo Ren's um, storyline I thought was good they took a little bit of yeah. it you know the expanded universe they took a little bit of that tell me tell, tell me your, your feel of it I know you talked about it like hundreds of times but tell me again how do yeah. you how do you like the movie well I can only talk about Force Awakens and <laughs> Star Wars um, I loved it I mean I'm on record I adore that movie I think it I, I think it really did exactly what it needed to do. It, it, you know, introduced Star Wars again to not only the old fans, but new fans. It reminded everybody of, of the original trilogy. It had wonderful nostalgia moments. And, you know, I just don't buy these people that are saying it's, a, it's a, either a ripoff or a remake of The New Hope, um, I, which seems to be the, the conversation people are having now. Um, for me, I loved it. I, I've seen it four times in the theater. Um, I thought J.J. Abrams knocked it out of the park because he really... There were some things that I, I discussed on Far, Far Away a lot where there are definitely flaws in this movie. There are some things that, you know, I would have done differently. There were some, you know, some things... I call them missed opportunities, mm -hmm. you know. But in general, the reason I loved it so much is because the characters were so well done and they were so different. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't buy these people that are saying it's a, it's a remake, you know? Ray is our main character with a mysterious cat, mm -hmm. and she happens to be a strong female. That's wonderful to have into the Star Wars canon. And then we have Finn, who's a stormtrooper. We're actually getting... They actually made a stormtrooper uh, human. Yeah. We actually know this guy. We actually get to know the stormtroopers, people that there are actual people behind these maps. Yeah. Kylo Ren, I mean, he's such a, I mean, I think he's one of the best Star Wars villains ever. He stands up there with Darth Vader in my mind, and you got to remember, in A New Hope, Darth Vader was not very well defined. Mm -hmm. He was the bad guy in, in black, and he had powers, and, and great, okay, but you didn't get to know his inner workings until Empire Strikes Back. So the fact that we have Kylo Ren in you know, The Force Awakens, knowing what we know about him being Han and Leia's son, I find fascinating. I, I just think it's so awesome that, of course, he's going to train to be a Jedi. Of course, he's strong with the Force. And, that, and then for him to fall to the dark side and have Luke Skywalker just quit the Jedi Order or quit building the new Jedi Order and go into exile, I mean, that, we're talking about some really, really high stakes and some twists to the Star 
Star Wars mythology that we haven't seen before. And, and that's what I respected so much about that movie. I mean, I, I respect the hell out of the fact that you take my favorite character in the whole Star Wars universe, which is Luke Skywalker, and you put him in the movie for two minutes. I mean, that's, that took some balls. Yeah. And it, and then it, I mean, that's not a new hope. That's not remaking new hope. Those are not similar story beats. So you now have a whole new movie set up with, so that Ryan Johnson will hit with uh, episode eight. Now Luke is back. They're going to start rebuilding the Jedi Order, so it seems. Mm-hmm. And this universe that's left off after Force Awakens is in chaos. The Republic has been destroyed by the First Order. We don't know if the First Order was blown up on that Starkiller base. So it, there's some really interesting story elements that haven't been a part of the Star Wars mythology in any of the movies. So, I mean, I just can't wait. Yeah. I, I just love Force Awakens. Yeah. I don't think you tell. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying I, I totally agree with you. I thought it was a very good movie. But the thing is, you know, now with the whole, there's certain things that are canon, and then there's the expanding universe and the Thrawn trilogy. You know, a lot of regular yeah. regular fans will get confused about it. Yeah. Going going into like the, um, the Han Solo storyline, um, do you feel it was the right? Even though Han said he want, you know, Harrison Ford said he wanted to be killed off a long time ago. Do you think it was the right call to kill him off at this movie? Or you, you you think it was a uh, um, you think it was a great opportunity or a missed opportunity where you could you could at least carry him until episode eight. You know, I think it just worked out. Uh, I, you know, I happen the only the only thing I didn't like about Han Solo and his death is how they there didn't seem to be a lot of time to grieve Han yeah. Solo's death when he dies, yeah. and that's just kind of set the move. But I actually, so well-earned, yeah. it really shows you this mirror image. And I, I talked a lot about on this on Far, Far Away, when you're thinking about the Star Wars universe and mirror images. I mean, you know, the original trilogy is all about a, fa- a son redeeming his father. And in this case, you have a son killing his father in order to go all the way to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And that's the tragedy that is Han Solo, and he dies a hero's death. So it, it worked in the story, and a lot of us saw it coming. We knew Han Solo, we knew Harrison Ford kind of wanted to be killed off in Return of the Jedi, so we kind of knew it might happen in, in Force Awakens, and, and I was just worried that they were going to do it as shock value. I didn't realize it would affect me as strongly as it did. Yeah. Uh, as it did in Force Awakens. I mean, I really thought, I mean, it, it moved the story along as far as Kylo Ren is concerned and him going completely over the dark side. There's no redeeming Kylo Ren. That's why I find that he's a fascinating character. The son kills the father instead of the son redeeming the father. And so now we're talking, that's the mirror image that I'm talking about. And that's what is so fascinating to me. And the fact that it had to be Han Solo, I mean, I wish it wasn't. I mourned. I hate that Han Solo is no longer alive in the Star Wars universe, but he died a hero's death. He went out on top, and, and I think it's an admirable way to go. So I, I did it. it. It hit me well. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. When you saw the scene, but did you kind of knew it was coming? Just like when he automatically called him, I was like, "Oh shit, you're dead!" You know, like I already knew it from yeah. the beginning. You know, did you just yeah. you already when you, when he when he called out his name? Did you already know like all oh, oh, that he's gonna die? Yeah, I kind of I kind of 
Yeah, I kind of suck. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think everybody in the audience. Yeah. I was lucky enough to see the press screening over at Disney, so I saw it a few days early. And so I was, I was there with a bunch of my colleagues, yeah. and that, you know, when he when he yells Ben and he stepped out onto that that bridge, the room just <laughs> went. I mean, it was just a <laughs> of all air because we knew yep. it was coming. Yep. You know, and. I didn't. I didn't know it would be that way. I mean, I thought Han was gonna maybe go out with like sacrificing himself. Like when they were sending the bombs over at Star Starkiller Base, I thought it might have been something along those lines. Like, oh, he, uh, you know, he's gonna get trapped, and he, he's gonna be the only one that can, you know, light the fuse. So go on without me. I'm gonna stay here and light it. And boom. So it was kind of shocking to me that they did it the way they did it with Kyle Hunt. So that's what I really appreciate is that story beat right there. So, um, yeah, I think everybody in the audience knew it was coming. And like I said, I've seen it three times after. And every time that scene comes up, at least my audiences, they have been just, oh, my, on the edge of their seat. Yeah. Like, kind of knowing it's coming. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you know, I seen it in my theater too, and like like you said, the moment Han stepped on that bridge, everybody knew, and you know, my wife had her eyes covered, and there was people, yeah. you know, it was like you know, just like you know, having their heads down, they have their you know, their hands across their eyes, so they didn't want to see, because almost like if they were watching like a, a horror movie, like they knew something bad was gonna happen, you know. But oh yeah, oh exactly. Yeah, but you don't think Kylo yeah. Ren is redeemable, even though he killed his father? Because you know, you know, the, the thing about Star Wars, it seems like everyone is redeemable, no matter what, no matter what you can do. You don't think he's redeemable at yeah. all? Well, I suppose if, if Anakin Skywalker has been redeemed uh, after killing a bunch of younglings uh, <laughs> yeah. over the years, then you could, I guess, Kylo Ren could be uh, redeemed at the end of the trilogy. It's that's what I love about that move. I mean, that's what's really fascinating to me. You know, that's again. I, I don't buy these criticisms that it's a it's a remake of New Hope. Yeah. Um, this story element, this beat, this thing that Kylo Ren did. I mean, I'm I have no idea where it's going to go. Yeah. Like, is he going to be the is he is he full Vader now, so to speak? He is now it totally embraced the dark side. He's going to be even more powerful. And in Episode Eight, we're going to really see some things from him that are going to you know turn our stomachs. Is he going to be Killed? Is Luke Skywalker going to duel him sooner or later? Is Rey going to take him out at the end of Episode Nine? I mean, I mean, you could go a hundred different ways, and I bet they're all going to be fascinating. And that's what I—that's why I think that move they made by him killing Han Solo—it's—it's—it's it's it's a ballsy move, man. And the fact that they did it is so fascinating for me as a storyteller. I love to see where we're going to go. Yeah. What, what was your take on Carrie Fisher as Leia? Because, you know, you know the critics, you know, have their take. Uh, you know, they say different things about her. You know, yeah. I, I thought for what she had to do, she did fine. But, you know what I'm saying, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't the same Carrie Fisher from, you know, when she was younger. But, you know, I thought for what she did, she did, she did okay. What's your... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm very biased to be on record because, like, my very first crush was Barry Fisher as yeah. yeah so I loved her I she came back that music started playing John Williams theme the Princess Leia started playing I was I had tears in my eyes and she did not I mean aside from having a bit of a fast voice which is just age yeah. she she was great and, and I you know I don't like that critics are kind of going 
or even trolls on the internet going against, you know, yeah. going after her. Like, you know, she's an older woman. You know, what do you want? Yeah. She's, she's holding up for her age, and you know, she hasn't led the most, you know, perfect of lives. You know, we her her behind the scenes addictions and troubles that she had. She documents herself. She wrote two great autobiographies about it. Yeah. You know, and I read them both, and they were amazing. And to see her come back, she I thought she slipped right back into Princess Leia, and I loved it. And I'm glad she's around still, because, I, you know, I think it's a very big, you know, she's a big part of this new story, you know, or the fact that she was looking for Luke, you know, uh, and, and taking on the, the mantle of General instead of taking on a Jedi. You know, she decided to be, you know, to stick with what she knew and being a general, but she's strong in the force. So she's going to have a very, I think, interesting uh, arc throughout the remainder of this new trilogy. So, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, everybody, you, you might all disagree with me because I love Carrie Fisher growing up, but so I'm biased, I'll take it, but <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Also, what's what what's your theory on the whole Ray fiasco? Like, is she Luke's um, daughter? Is she Kenobi's? Like, what what's your opinion on that? I have a feeling she's Luke's. That's what I think, and I think she just had her mind wiped. Because if they could mind wipe droids, why couldn't they mind wipe humans? You know what what do you think about that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, well, they definitely set something up with uh, Kylo Ren being able to kind of read your mind is kind of a very new force power. Yeah. So I, I love that, and I would say that it would fit in the rules of this universe that you can be mind-wiped. So I was on record saying I thought she was going to be uh, Han and Leia's daughter. Yeah. Um, and I even thought Kylo Ren was going to be Han and Leia's uh, son. Yeah. So I was kind of right. I was thinking they were going to kind of cherry-pick from the expanded universe the, the twins, the solo twins, yeah. who then ended up, you know, going off and becoming Jedis and so, but then Ray, once it wasn't revealed, I started to talk about it. And I said, no, I could still be on and Leia's daughter. And then I stopped myself mid-sentence, during Far, Far Away. And I said, now, if it comes out that she's on and Leia's daughter, then the audience will feel cheated because it should have been revealed in Force Awakens. So then I started looking at, like, little hints. You know, she puts on the X-Wing Rebel helmet. Yeah. She made a Rebel doll. I could definitely see connections to Luke Skywalker then, mm-hmm. and that the you know that the lightsaber pulled to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely think you can make a strong case that she is Luke Skywalker's daughter. Yeah. But then I, I, I but I can't entirely wrap my head around that because of what we know a little bit that was set up in the prequels, which is that Jedi uh, shouldn't form attachment. So how would he have you know? father Ray, so I'm up for it, you know, you never know, and I I think she definitely could be, I mean, now as the dust is settling, I think those, those hints at Luke Skywalker, her putting on the rebel helmet and having the rebel doll, I think they're more hints at she's our Luke of Mm -hmm. the saga, she's Mm -hmm. our Anakin of the saga, so whether or not she's, she's related, I don't know, I don't buy for a second she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's grand, yeah. granddaughter. I think that's I think that's nonsense. Yeah. I just think that, you know, the fan community going, wanting to connect it to everyone in the Star Wars universe, which would make it a very small universe if she's if everybody's related to everybody. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, Kathleen Kennedy came out in an interview and said that this is another story about the Skywalkers. 
Mm-hmm. So whether she actually means it's Ray or that it's maybe a continuation of Luke Skywalker's story, which would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Luke Skywalker is now a part of Episode Eight. Well, we know he's we know he's back. Why couldn't it be the finishing off of his story towards Episode Nine? So we we don't know. I mean, I think it might be as simple as Ray was training under Luke at one point, um, and when Kylo Ren went bad and started to either kill people off in the Jedi Temple, which seems to be where the flashbacks happening, who are the Knights of Ren, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, what if they took Rey from the Jedi, new Jedi Academy, and hit her on Jakku, and it's as simple as that, you know? I, I don't know. I could see it going either way. I think in the end, I think really, in the end, she's either going to just be her own character, no ties to the Skywalkers, or she's Luke Skywalker's daughter. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any other way to do it. And, and if for, by some miracle we find out she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's daughter or granddaughter, well, okay. I just don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. But even the way Luke looked at her, he looked at her like he knew her. Like, you know, I was just trying to look at his face. It's almost like he looked kind of puzzled or, like, bewildered when he saw her there, you know? like Yeah, yeah. There's definitely there's definitely uh, uh, some kind of recognition on him. I, I, I definitely see that. Yeah. So, yeah, they're tied somehow. They definitely tied somehow. And what about Rogue One? Because, you know, as Kathleen Kennedy said, the, the you know, episodes 8 and 9 have to deal with the Skywalkers. Rogue One necessarily doesn't have to do with Skywalkers at all. So where do right. you, th- you think that storyline is going to go besides the whole plans of the Death Star? And, you know, they, they sort of hinted at it at Return of the Jedi. Where they, you know, what Was it Return of the Jedi or... Yeah, I think no, it was um a new hope where they new hinted, yeah, new hope yeah. where they hinted at it where, you know, a lot of people died for those plans. So, do you think right. you think we this is like the first you could say Star Wars movie ever where we will actually see like, you know, not like brutal deaths, but deaths, you know, with soldiers regardless, right? Do you think it's going to be like a like a world world war movie type? Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely think that. I mean, I kind of go off what uh you know, uh, Gareth Edwards, the director, and what everybody at Lucasfilm has seen that this is, you know, the, the real, this is the zero dark 30 of the Star Wars universe. We're going to get spies, and we're going to get double agents, and, you know, the, the rebellion. I mean, it takes place between episode three and, you know, A New Hope, episode four. So, I, you know, I'm going off the kind of quote that the filmmakers have been making, trying to, you know, piece together a, a some kind of story. And I don't know what we're going to expect. I mean, I, I think from what I've heard, Gareth Edwards says something along the lines of, you know, this is the movie where, you know, this is the first time you realize that the Jedi, Jedi Knights are no longer a part of the peacekeeping universe like they were in the people. So, you know, I think he wants to show the absence, uh, the absence of Jedi. And so I think it's fascinating to go at it from a war movie. So I, I you know, as far as the heart of the story, that that's a good question. I don't know. I kind of I'm so happy that I don't know much. Yeah. You because know, I'm I, I wanting. I'm sure that'll change though, because you know, Disney's gonna have to market a movie, and you know, unfortunately, I thought they did too much marketing with Force Awakens. I thought they showed way too much. Uh, that's just my personal take. But with Rogue One, I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of information over the next few months and, and definitely we're going to start seeing a lot coming out over the summer and 
leading into next uh, next holidays. But I think it is going to be brutal war. You know, lots of guns, spies, maybe some you know spies. I think we're going to be back on the Death Star. I think there's going to be some bounty hunters, some Imperial Guard. They, I heard we're going to get a, a CGI Tarkin. Yeah, they're going to use old uh, Peter Cushing uh, kind of stuff that's kind of still in his. In his character, um, I hear we're going to get kind of some, maybe some Darth Vader action. You know, obviously he's around. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't wait. Rogue One sounds like one of those very different kind of stories that is really going to set the stage for all their new spinoffs. And I think it, I think it's an absolute perfect first movie to do a, a Star Wars story spinoff. So yeah, I can't wait, man. Yeah, definitely is going to salivate our appetites for episode eight when it comes out the following year. After oh yeah, that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be phenomenal. What's your take of the cast? You, you are, are do you like Forrest Whitaker? You like Donnie Yen? You like? Oh yeah, the cast is probably one of the best cast that's been assembled, aside from maybe the Force Awakens. Just the names that you kind of know and the names that are very cool. You like Forrest Whitaker to me, and he's just such a great actor. So anytime he's in something, I'm thinking of him in a Star Wars movie is fantastic. Then you have Ben Mendelsohn, who is yes. fantastic. He's in a Star Wars movie, and then you got, got Mad, Hannibal Lecter, freaking Casino Royale, Keaton. Yeah. I mean, I, this this cast is insane. Yeah. So I, I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, like I said, though, I, I'm going to pardon your, for your listeners out there, I am the biggest Star Wars geek there is, so of course I'm biased. Everything that comes out, I'm going to go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I do not, I'm not really crazy about, and I know this might, might sound crazy, I'm not at all crazy about a young Han Solo movie. I just don't, I wish there was a different yeah. spin-off that would focus on somebody else yeah. and not Han Solo. I don't necessarily believe we need to know how Han Solo came to be. Yeah. So, that's just me. I don't, the same thing. just released... They just released the, uh, the the short list of names, the oh. eight actors, and, and I'm not real crazy about any of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, we'll see. Oh, what about that actor that mimicked Harrison Ford, that he's in that movie? Yeah. And, um, you Anthony think, Gruber. Yes. Yes, I'm saying, I, I, know he's not, I know he's not an actor per se, but he does a good um, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then, well, he played young Harrison Ford in uh, the Age of the Age of Adeline. Adeline, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Adeline. So I didn't, I did, I missed that one, but you know, he came on the Schmoes No Main show and he did all his impressions. He was fantastic. And yeah. I do believe he's an actor. He looks closest to him, yeah. to Harrison Ford, and I think he would be the perfect person to do it because he's not coming to the part with a lot of baggage behind him. Yeah. So you can kind of be able to look at him as unbiased. It's possible because look, whoever they cast as young Han Solo, they're they're going to be an, it's going to be an uphill battle for those guys because they're everybody's going to look at this as Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford. Yeah. So it's it's going to be really hard to separate yourself from that. Yeah, so, yeah I wish Anthony Gruber was up for it. Yeah. He might be in the mix. We don't know. I mean, I you know I work in that in, in this space, and my colleague Justin Cole over at Variety is the one that brought this to today. Yeah. And Anthony Gruber was not on that list, but you never know. The myth couple. No, just the myth. So, actually, if Anthony Gruber is going to do it, who knows? Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see probably pretty soon. 
Yeah, but like what like what I noticed with movies and everything in the film genre, everyone's replaceable because even with the young um, Indiana Jones Chronicles, they have Sean Patrick Flannery. So, you know, not that you know you, you're right. I can't see anybody else as him. Like you know, for example, perfect example, Nightmare on Elm Street. No one could do Freddy Krueger like Robert England. Um, the remake. Right. I, I love Jackie James or um, Hurley. He's a great actor, but he was not yeah. Freddy Krueger. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean that thing with the, I mean, this is essentially, you're taking Han Solo and remaking his character, it's not a remake of Star Wars, but you're remaking his character, so yeah, that, that's a good, it's a good uh, comparison, you know, uh, I love Nightmare on Elm Street, and when, you know, the, the movie, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street was just pretty awful, I thought Jack Earl Haley was pretty good, but, um, yeah, now how can you get away from Robert Englund? Same is true with uh, Harrison Ford and Han Solo. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's going to be a balancing act. So we'll see. Yeah. What you got coming up on the Far Far Away podcast? Uh, we are going to have. Uh, we're definitely just getting some of this big news. We've been away for a couple weeks now. We're trying to get one going this week. Okay. Um, and then I know that the one of our uh, we're having two guests uh, that are we're trying to book them right now. One of them is. Uh, somebody I worked with and a friend of mine, uh, Phil Anthony Rodriguez, he voices the fifth brother on um, Star Wars Rebels. So he's yeah. going to be coming on soon. Oh, sweet. Which I can't wait. And then I'm also getting my uh, my director and really good friend, Patrick T. Gorman, who directed me in the Star Wars trilogy in 30 Minutes. So yeah. he's a big Star Wars guy, and we're going to have him on, and he's going to talk about how he created the Star Wars trilogy in 30 Minutes went all over uh, the Edinburgh Film Fringe uh, Festival and how he put the play up to Skywalker Ranch and how he met George Lucas. George Lucas saw the play, so that's going to be a fun one. I can't wait for that. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about that, how did that happen with the whole George Lucas and um, you guys bringing it to to him so George Lucas could see that? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. well, that, that was interesting. I mean, Patrick created the Star Wars trilogy in 30 minutes while he was at USD, and that's how I met him. Oh, okay. So he did all three of the original trilogy movies on stage in 30 minutes, and it literally, it, it, it was like kids performing in their backyard, but just finding whatever they could to make an X-Wing or to have a lightsaber. So they would grab a whiffle ball bat, and they would tape it up with blue tape, and there's your lightsaber. So that's what Patrick did so brilliantly that he condensed all the dialogue down to the nitty-gritty 30 minutes, and then you're running all over stage doing a bunch of different parts. So what happened was that it was so well-received at USC when it went up in 1995 that they brought it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival through USC. And Patrick and an original bunch of uh, actors and friends of mine back in the day at USC, they did that show for years, every year they, they did that show. And then I joined the show when it went to Paris. Paris in, uh, there was a Paris um, theater festival. So I went out there and I did Star Wars with a bunch of people and I played the Emperor. And then finally, after all those years, this was probably 2002, after doing it for almost 10 years, George Lucas and Lucasfilm finally got wind of it and they invited uh, Patrick and his crew 
to go and do uh, the Star Wars trilogy in 30 minutes over at uh, uh, the, the second Star Wars convention, Star Wars Celebration 2, which was uh, to coincide with the release of uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh-huh. So I, I called up Patrick and told him I want to, I need to be a part of this. I, I played the Emperor, would love to be a part of it. Long story short, he allowed me to be a part of it. And then I became the Emperor and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we did the show at Star Wars Celebration. And then we were strangely and out of left field invited up to Skywalker Ranch because George Lucas finally wanted to see it. So we all went up there, and we went to Skywalker Ranch, and we got the full tour, and then we performed uh, the Star Wars trilogy in 30 minutes for George Lucas and everybody at Skywalker Ranch. And it was like the greatest experience of my life because I got to meet George Lucas and showed him my Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, impression. <laughs> you know, he's so stoic, so how, um, how was his, uh, how did he react to it? Oh, yeah. Talking about stoic. Yeah, he was very, <laughs> it was interesting. He, he loved it. He came and he paused, and uh, then he came over and talked to us for about 15 minutes after the show. And he just kind of walked up to us and said, that's really great, guys. That's, that's really good. And then he didn't say anything else. And we all left <laughs> kind of like, what do we do? So I introduced myself to kind of fill the space. Yeah. And then everybody introduced themselves. And then Patrick, my director, and uh, made some jokes like, hey, if you need you know, help writing episode three, let me know. If you need to cut down some uh, cut down some time, you know, let me know. I can condense it for you. Yeah. And then the next day we went to, um, so yeah, Lucas was great. So nice. And, yeah, very awkward, very kind of shy and reserved, but still, like, you know, and I mean, the guy who created Star Wars, and you're, you're sitting there shaking his hand and talking to him. It was pretty crazy. And so after that, then we went to, the next day we performed at, uh, at uh, Industrial Light and Magic EHX, all the other uh, special effects houses. Mm-hmm. And we did three shows there, and we heard that Lucas snuck in and watched another uh, show of ours where he, he stuck out. So it was really cool to meet him. Oh, wow, that's excellent. You know, I, at least you could say you're one of the few who met George Lucas and you actually interacted with right. him. Oh, um, you have anything else coming out, um, Mark, besides the Far, Far Away podcast? Anything else you have in the future in the horizon? Uh, not, not much. Just, uh, you know, working, working a bunch at Geek Nation. I mean, you can find me every day over there at Geek Nation com. I write all the time. We have great editorials going up. Uh, yeah, far, far away, and then meet the movie press. I do with Jeff Snyder of the Rap, where we do that every Friday. And then I'm I'm actually building, starting the, the preliminary plans of a of a show through Geek Nation that I'm I'm pairing up with Patrick Gorman, speaking of him, my Star Wars director. We're we're bouncing off some ideas to make a new show. So I'll I'll keep you posted. Nothing yet, but uh, it's in the planning. So yeah. Oh. Two more questions for you before I let you go. Any any scoops you can give me? There's any exclusive scoop that you can give me? If you know of any? <laughs> I wish I knew. Yeah, I don't really have <laughs> Yeah, my, my, I had a Marvel store that kind of dried up. He was, he's been talking to me, he or she, I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're my Marvel source. They, they're just kind of... I kind of got some, some Civil War tidbits and then it, it came out kind of few days later when the Russo brothers were talking about but it's legit. It was basically just saying, yeah, you know, Scarlet Witch is going to have a big, big part in the Civil War and 
and uh, Black Panther and um, Vision and who else? Spider-Man are all going to have some very special arts, special things happen. Mm-hmm. So this is what my Marvel source told me, and I didn't really have much to go on. And then the Russo brothers came out not three days ago and said the same thing. So yeah. it's just kind of speculation. I'm just kind of hearing here and there behind the scenes that, you know, it's probably the most ambitious Marvel movie. That's what everybody's talking about. So uh, that's all I have. Yeah. No, no more spoofs, unfortunately. Definitely. And my final question for you is what would the Mark Riley of today tell the Mark Riley of yesterday? Oh man. Great question. Well I would tell him that that that, that you definitely don't worry, you're gonna be doing what you love to do. I'm very lucky in that that I get to do what I do. I mean it's been rough here and there, it's the entertainment business ups and downs a lot, but I landed I land on my feet always the fact that I'm writing and producing at a place called Big Nation, <laughs> I would tell my my self, like, you know, hang in there. There's going to be a few dark years, but go get through it. And then uh, probably the other thing I would tell them is that there's a new Star Wars trilogy that takes <laughs> up to Return of the Jedi. So get excited. <laughs> oh, you were spoiler for him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, my, my younger self was in wide eyes. be like, what, another Star Wars? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. And Mark, any social media where people could find you out there? If they, you know, um, they like what they hear, they want to like, you know, talk to you or anything. Yeah, man. Uh, you can find me every day on Twitter uh, uh, at Riley Around. The, the name of my last name spelling R E I L L Y Around. And then Acting Nation as well. That's uh, the two that I I go off of. You can see everything I'm doing over uh, over there on Twitter. Oh. Definitely. Mark, thank you so much. You're my 100th guest, and it was a pleasure to talk right to on. you. Yeah, man, Mr. 100. 100? That's pretty special. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was no, great. No, not a problem, and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Out of a quote from your show, open the blast doors, close the blast doors. Oh,